Welcome to Reframed, a podcast created to educate, encourage, and inspire parents and professionals. The research is clear. Parenting a child that has a history of loss, abuse, neglect, or trauma requires parenting skills and insight to be reframed. We partner with child welfare experts to bring you evidence-based and research-driven information. Reframed host, Emily Moorhead, LPC, and guests strive to make an impact on our world by creating conversations about topics that are important to you, your family, and our communities. Hello, and welcome back to Reframed. Today, we have a special episode, and you may notice special guest host. I'm Jennifer Lanter, and I work in Gladney's Education Department. And I'm Nancy Robbins, and I also work with Jennifer in the Education Department. We are talking about a really important topic today, and that is human trafficking. Nancy, can you give us some background on what we are talking about today? Recently, the media has been sharing more and more stories of human trafficking that are happening right here in our state and even our city. So Jennifer, when I heard what our topic was gonna be for this special episode, I did some research on the state of Texas's website and read that at any given time, there are 234,000 victims of labor trafficking and 79,000 victims of youth and minor sex trafficking in Texas. That's just shocking to me. Wow, those numbers are overwhelming. Let's take a deeper dive into human trafficking with two experts who deal with the impact on victims in our communities every day. Welcome, Tommy and Lorinda. Please tell us about you. I'm Tommy Grover. I serve the Office of the Governor, Greg Abbott, on the child sex trafficking team, and I'm the North Texas Regional Administrator, and I have 48 counties in North Texas. Uh, my name is Lorinda Smith. I'm with Unbound Fort Worth, and we are an organization here in the Tarrant County and Denton County area that serves survivors of trafficking. Um, we also do outreach opportunities to youth and the community, as well as professional trainings. Well, welcome to both of you guys. Tommy, I'm going to go to you first with a question. So what actually is human trafficking? And who are the people that are doing this? So in the big picture, human trafficking includes what you've articulated as both labor and sex trafficking. And those estimates that you articulated were a prevalence estimate study. So what U University of Texas did was look at what the likelihood is of someone being trafficked and they came up with those numbers. So those aren't actual victims of trafficking that we know of in the state. They're an estimate based on what we, uh, the criteria that was used to do this. But what we know that trafficking is, is elements of exchanging labor and or sex for something of value. And it is also uh, the elements of force, fraud, and coercion that trick, trap, and trade people for exchanging their labor services or sexual exploitation for goods and services like money or um, other things that they might need to take care of themselves. So when we talk about that in the big picture, there's federal statutes that talk about the actions, the means and the purpose. And, and we could get into all of that, but the, the, the crux of the matter is that people are being bought and sold every day. And when it comes to children, the elements of force, fraud and coercion do not have to be proven in order for a child to be a victim of trafficking. It's simply the exchange of a commercial sex act for something of value to them. 
So are there actual numbers then that we should know or be aware of, or do we just go with those broader term numbers? So it, it, it is a game of numbers oftentimes, and uh, you have to know what the numbers represent when you use them. And there's been a lot of iterations over the years, but I think at this point, we have a number of databases that help us to understand what federal cases there are that have already been prosecuted. And that's hosted at humantraffickingdata.org. Those are federal cases, and um, it demonstrates a variety of pieces of information. That's Dr. Vanessa Boucher from TCU's project. And humantraffickingdata.org only looks at federal cases. But for the state of Texas, um, our Office of the Attorney General is in the process of deciding which entity will house the information about cases prosecuted in Texas. At this point, we have some reporting through the Office of Court Administration, but we don't have a lot of solidified ways of incorporating that data into a single uh, source of information about what cases have actually been handled in our state. But we do know that there are cases being worked all over the state. Who are the people that are doing this trafficking? You know, they are every or, everyday ordinary looking citizens, and they represent a great diversity of um ethnicities and and gender they're they're um you, they're sometimes you you just wouldn't suspect that somebody could be a trafficker and in the federal statute when you look at the elements of um the actions that are um under that state that federal statute that mirror in the state statutes is it could be somebody who's providing transportation recruiting grooming harboring it could be a lot of things that someone who's engaged in trafficking, not just a pimp. We often just think of there's a pimp involved. Well, that's not always the case. To me, it's so disturbing to think of, of traffickers in those terms that it could be just anybody. And one of the things that I learned when I was doing some research about this, Lorinda, is that Texas is the second largest state for trafficking. Is that true? We were number two in the amount of calls coming in to mm -hmm. the hotline number. Um, so that means people are aware, um, in the state of Texas, you can actually look at it in that regard that people are aware that they can call the hotline to submit, um, you know, anything of concern. Um, but not necessarily that, that statistic is saying that number, you know, Texas is number two, you know, in the country for trafficking, but we do have a high percentage of trafficking victims that find their way into the state of Texas. Um, the trafficker brings them in and or they're trafficked here. You would probably benefit from knowing at this point, she's absolutely right. Um, but we also have a uh, partnership with the National Human Trafficking Hotline and we have been working with them to get the information and resources that are available specifically for Texas. We have a single source person at the National Human Trafficking Hotline that is dedicated to uh, making sure that our information for the state of Texas is kept up to date. And we've been out asking for organizations that work in this space to make sure that they get on the internal or external directory that's available at the National Human Trafficking Hotline. So we've really done a lot behind the scenes to bolster what's available there and to make sure that the right law enforcement partners and social service partners are available to the National Human Trafficking Hotline if they have a case. Additionally, we've worked with them for reporting any cases that come into the National Human Trafficking Hotline in Texas, 
that involves a minor to go straight to DFPS. So our Department of Family and Protective Services has its own exploitation unit, and we are we have worked diligently to try and make sure that the National Human Trafficking Hotline hands any of those cases right into the the call center for uh, Texas kiddos. Okay, so then all of these databases are talking to each other in order to come up with a number, let's say. We take a lot of data from a lot of different places to try right. and paint the picture of what we're looking at, but it is, what's the source? How did they get to that information? And what's reality? So one of the things that we've brought to bear in Texas is the commercially sexually exploited youth identification tool, the see it tool. And we've actually got some really good numbers on kiddos that have been screened with that tool. And about 13% of our kids are, are that are already known as high risk kids are screening as clear concern, which means there's a high likelihood that they've been exploited or that they're highly vulnerable to being exploited. And so we're starting to collect in a variety of ways the information that's available out there. We have a new platform that we've also started called Lighthouse in Texas. It's Allies Against Slavery in Austin that's developed this platform to bring the SEAT tool, care coordination information, and other options for integrating information into that one platform. And so we're working towards that. Uh, I wish it was already in place and I wish that the OAG's office, but I can tell you that our team has only been in place for five years and we've been able to accomplish a great deal. But the, all of that integration of information is gonna take the will of a lot of different systems to bring it all together. We're working towards that. I, I promise you we're working towards it and I wish we had better you know, results already, but yeah, it's, it's a good thing that's happening. I think awareness is so important. And I do feel like I, I was just telling Nancy and I, I think you before we got started on the podcast, I was so naive to this problem. And I mean, I work in child welfare. And so I've learned so much just preparing for this show and, and talking to you guys already. So it's good to know what Texas is doing. Do you think that Texas is, um, when you look at the other states, are we kind of are we high up there as far as what resources and what kinds of programs and things we have in place? Well, of course we are. We're Texans. <laughs> when we see a problem, we address it, right? That's right. That's when, right. When it's as egregious as our children being bought and sold for sexual exploitation, yes. that's unacceptable. And yes. the legislature here agrees that's unacceptable. And so when they put us in the government code back in 2015, they gave us, you know, a six-fold mission that includes research and includes protection, which is a prevention piece, the recognition piece, being able to see what we haven't seen before, the recovery piece, how do we extract a child or help them to find their way out, what does the healing recovery look like, and how do we bring justice to these situations, how do we get the systems aligned. And there's a lot more to that at gov.texas.gov slash CSTT about our team and how that was put together. But we have really seen uh, in comparison to what we know is going on in other states that, that our state is working at a very high level using a public health framework. And I think this is the, the key is we're not just doing one thing. We're doing all of those things simultaneously and moving systems to, to be in alignment with one another and then helping the local community to own and operate local care coordination when a child is recognized. It's much like disaster preparedness in a lot of ways. We're mm -hmm. getting people ready to understand, you know, we just had another hurricane. It's just like, we gotta get people ready to understand what the problems are when something like this happens. And then we've gotta have a plan of action. So that's what we're working on in the local communities. 
Yeah, and I'll also just uh, chime in and and say too that, you know, the great thing is that through all of this working together, we do have a lot of leaders in the state of Texas who are able to do a lot of training for other um, communities um, to really give them uh, with the knowledge of how to proceed forward because it's, it's not one individual person. It's not an individual organization. It really takes everyone working together to bring this to a stop. And, you know, I've actually been just amazed at how much the, the community specifically here in the Dallas Fort Worth area People don't try to say like, oh, that doesn't happen here. I mean, you might hear that occasionally, but we have a lot of community support who individuals who are ready to take this on and put a stop to it. Um, I, I've, I have talked to individuals before from communities that, you know, their, their leadership is just like, yeah, that doesn't really happen here. Um, and they have a lot of, it's, it's hard to get a lot of individuals to, um, you know, come together and, and do something about it because they don't believe it's happening. And, and I definitely don't see that here. I don't, there's a lot of communities in Texas that we work with and um, that has just been a really special bond in, in really bringing Texas to the top of the, um, you know, to being the leader in providing these, these kind of trainings and such. What are some of the things that we should be looking at? What are some of the signs all right. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot of information out there about human trafficking. There's good information. And then there's also information that's not as helpful. And also just a lot of information getting passed around social media of, mm. you know, my friend's friend was at the mall and this happened. And, and because it's your friend's friend, you got to think that that's for real, you know? Right. Um, and so, uh, and, and not to make light of what someone has been through. I mean, there are people out there that have someone that is following them. That does happen, but a human trafficking situation, that's, that's very rare. Um, you're more going to see the individual who is the smooth talking, um, you know, relational kind of person, what Tommy was talking about. It's your everyday person that you never would suspect. Um, and so they are, they are preying on vulnerabilities of individuals and um, so things that you can look for is, um, you know, like a, an older person hanging out with a younger, uh, a child. Um, so it could be a high school student with a middle, middle school student or someone outside of, you know, school age and they're still coming back to the school to meet with kids. Um, it could be online. Oh my, there's a whole spectrum of online safety of what parents need to be looking out for um, as far as knowing what apps your kids are on, um, understanding what's happening on their cell phones or their tablets, whatever device that they're on. Um, and, and also just, um, uh, you know, as far as, as um, dating apps, things like that, um, that's, that's actually the new way people meet each other is they, uh, even teenagers, they get on dating apps. And so they're going and meeting with individuals. Um, so that's, that's another aspect. And then you have jobs knowing, um, you know, that's, that's a place where kids are trying to make money fast and they can get caught in a, a place of being exploited. That is so interesting. 
that even jobs and the dating apps, that just blows my mind. And I'm thinking about the vulnerable children that Gladney places that have already come from a really hard place, like foster care. We don't know everything that has been in their background. Are they more likely to be recruited um, for trafficking than, say, a child that has not had that type of background? So kiddos who've been through foster care placement and have had issues of either domestic violence or homelessness or a whole host of other issues that are maybe systemic in their life. You know, the systems in and around their life, their familial situation, uh, job situation, moving a lot, transient nature, all of those things are kind of under the surface as possible vulnerabilities. And as, as we look at the tree of ACES, which is the pair of ACES, adverse community environments and adverse childhood experiences, when you connect those pieces and start to understand, kids have vulnerabilities in ways and in places that um, make them easy prey for those that would recruit on uh, in their space due to either attachment disorder or attachment issues with their family members in their, in their lifetime of history. Maybe they... Uh, don't have the kind of attachment that allows them to stay in relationship there and they're looking for someone to fill that attachment and that makes them easy prey for these uh, street psychologists I call them the traffickers who will look for whatever that vulnerability is to try and intersect with that child's life and then recruit them and so when a child is in conflict at home I hate my new placement. I hate these people. I and social media and they're on this social media. Well, people are looking for those targeted ways of understanding when a child is in conflict and trying to be the solution, trying to get the attachment, trying to uh, lure them to a relationship. That is the most often way that someone is recruited. I, I, I'll take care of you. Come and meet with me. And that process can take a couple hours it can take days it can take weeks and the traffickers are very very patient but the vulnerability issues are all of those things stacked on top of each other because you might have one but when you add two you you end up with complex trauma right and so right. all of the, all of these traumas build one on the other and make a child just that much more susceptible we we've been working with tbri the karen purvis institute for trust-based relational intervention and they've done a specific training for us on commercially sexually exploited youth and how to interact with them. I'd love for you guys to have an opportunity to see that training. So how would our listeners find that training, Tommy? So you can go to the Karen Purvis uh, Institute at TCU and the T TVRI training is available there. And um, I can certainly connect any of the listeners to uh, Dr. Karen Furman and her team at the Child Development Center for TBRI training, and then they can direct you to the see it version of the TBRI training. Okay, because we also have trainings for, of course, our adoptive parents. Um, Jennifer, you wanna talk about the different trainings that we offer pre and post adoption? Sure, we have, Gladney does offer several resources for not only just our adoptive families, but also child welfare professionals and others from Gladney University. And so we have a Facebook page that details all of our different trainings. Um, and most of them are, TB we have a lot of TBRR trainings and ACES trainings. Um, and so I feel like that would be really compatible. I would love 
um, to get you guys to Gladney for another training. I know you just did one for us, but I feel like we're just touching the tip of the iceberg here. Um, there's really so much more to this topic and it's so interesting and also very sad, but it's good to know that Texas is, is, has so many resources. Um, you, you, the both of you are amazing. I love hearing about what you do and how you serve children. Tell us a story of, of, of a child that may have been saved and, and what happened and what happened to that child. And then I want to end with some more resources from both of you. One thing I will say is that, you know, when we're working with kids, um, just our, our advocates have that opportunity to connect with them on a level that, um, you know, law enforcement or other providers don't really have that option or not option, but that opportunity. And, um, and, and it makes for a special bond to where, uh, you know, we have individuals that continually, um, communicate with that advocate, like as they're going through their healing journey, um, you know, we've had situations where they call their advocate and they're like, Hey, I, I made a, a, a big mistake and um, I need to tell you about it. You know, like they're, they're actually calling their advocate to say, I, I made a mistake, you know, like how do I work my way through this? Or, or we have situation or uh, um, we have individuals that we know that um, they carry like the, the letters of support. We have um, volunteers and members of the community that write letters of support that we send to those those individuals and they carry them from place to place to place. Like those connects are so important. And, and we know long-term how much it affects them to have that to, you know, when they, you know, graduate from a program um, that they know that they have individuals out there who, who are supporting them, who want the best for them. Um, and so it, it does, it creates those successful moments for those individuals. I think we have an opportunity to see just how important relationships are. Uh, what Lorinda's described is the secret sauce of helping these kiddos to find their way out. And we have seen where advocacy that's specifically designed for them has made the, the biggest difference because they can get safety planning, they can get motivational interviewing to help them to move through these stages of change. And, they can have a trust-based relationship. And there's plenty of research out there that talks about the influence of one person and the one relationship that's going to help them to break Tamra bonds, that's going to help them to um, overcome the challenges and adversities that they've had in their life. And we're seeing great successes with that. And um, we have stories from all over the state right now. I, I, I too can't talk about specific cases, but I, I can tell you that our kiddos are starting to realize when we can help them over a longer period of time that there are options for their future and for a hope. And that's really the, the important pieces of what we hope these kids will have is an understanding that they are valued, that they are important, and that uh, we're um, moving heaven and earth, if you will, with the systems of Texas to try and make it possible for them to get what they need to be empowered to um, overcome the challenges and to move forward. And I would say for your audience, if you see something, say something. It's kind of like Smokey the Bear. You know, we have to think about what Smokey the Bear was tasked with. He said, only you can prevent forest fires, right? And if we all take that as our 
ownership of what it comes to uh, be about trafficking. Only you as an individual may be the one who sees a child who's in a situation. And if you step in, if you reach out to law enforcement or DFPS, you may make the difference for that child over the long haul. And when we add CSA advocates to that, they are the ones who are making such a big, big difference for our kids. So I love that y'all have the support system for the child, the, the person that has been through this. What about for the parents? So if the child is coming back home, what kind of support system is there for the parents to know how to deal with the trauma that their child has been through and how to be supportive of that? Is there anything that's out there? There's a couple things. Family advocates uh, through the Children's Advocacy Center can address it, the, the, the family. CSA advocates are really designed for the kids, and they do do a lot of support for families. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children also has a arm of what they're doing that's specifically for parents to help them to understand and get ready for a child who's coming home. And there's options through training for uh this through DFPS and their exploitation unit. So there are some supports there. I would say it's grassroots efforts that are really at the local level, making the best impact for families who've been uh, affected by trafficking. I know that just in, in um, doing research for this show, I ran across several videos. So listeners can definitely go to um, go to YouTube and find, so I think the FBI produced a few videos um, about victims and about how they um, how they were rescued and basically their their life was changed forever because of that. So there are definitely some great videos out there about this. Also, just want to say from from Gladys' experience, Nancy mentioned our you know one of the things that we worry about is our foster kiddos being vulnerable, but also our birth mother clients, our expectant mom clients. Um, we have seen um, sadly some trafficking. Um, victims from that as well. And that, that was, that, that's, that's hard to see, but it's also very rewarding to know that, um, that we can help. And, and that's what it takes is just our caseworkers or child welfare specialists, just seeing, identifying a problem and then do something about it. And, um, and I know that, I know that we've worked with a few, um, who were, we were able to help get out of that, that awful, horrible position. Yeah, sometimes it's recognizing that that baby may be the result of their trafficking, but but I've also seen it uh, up real close with survivors that it was the baby who helped them to get out because they really wanted that child to live a different life than what they were living, and uh, sometimes they're discarded as you know used goods at, at, by the trafficker at that point when they have a, a baby that comes along with it. But it, it may be the very thing that allows her to make some different decisions because she has that child. We have a group down in uh, San Antonio, SJRC, that works with a lot of pregnant girls that are coming out of trafficking. And we, we've seen it over and over again that the baby becomes a reasonable focus for them to change their mind about how they need to do life differently. It's a good thing sometimes. But at the same time, we've got, you know, challenges to deal with parenting and helping them to get regulated and all of that kind of stuff. And um, I, I, I applaud you for bringing this forward to your staff for talking about these issues, because if, if they can start to recognize uh, that a child may have been trafficked and that uh, they can look for different services that might be able to specifically help them with 
um, any of the challenges that they're facing through a variety of um, interventions, therapy, that kind of stuff. What can our listeners do? Is there anything for them to do? You know, they can get involved on a local level. That's, there's um, some great organizations, um, even just here in Tarrant County, that provide services for survivors, um, including Unbound. Um, You know, even if it's just writing cards of encouragement and support, and they can drop those off at Unbound. Um, Our website has information on what they can do there. Also providing supplies. Um, you have to think um, sometimes when, when kids are, are taken out of these situations, they really might just have a Walmart bag of their life's, you know, the things that they have in their life in that Walmart bag, you know? So, um, you know, they need things, uh, you know, clothing and, um, you know, shampoo, conditioner, all those types of things. And, and we have, uh, we do have those listed on our website where individuals can, um, donate to, uh, to Unbound and provide those for survivors. Um, also just really educating yourself, um, with, a, you know, actual, like, uh, appropriate resources, um, uh, making sure that the resources you're looking at are, um, I guess what's the the word uh reputable credible resources yes um so um yeah really educating yourself and and making sure to to uh have those conversations with kids I mean that's that's what you can do at home is have conversations with kids about healthy relationships what those look like and how they can be safe online yeah, and I would say uh, that the uh, Five Stones Task Force in uh, Tarrant County that's headed by the Fort Worth Police Department civilians, it's, uh, they had a meeting earlier today, and they engage uh, across the disciplines. They have a lot of uh, folks from a variety of nonprofits, and the, they call it a task force, but it really functions much more like a coalition of service providers, and they do a lot of great education. Today they had the Net Fort Worth which is a local organization that addresses demand. And Ty Bowden talked about the um, interdiction pieces that they're doing online with the men's group. And so there's, I think it's just a mere lack of imagination for which people say, well, I don't know how to get involved because there is an innumerable ways that they could get involved. And if they're interested in raising money for these organizations, if they're interested in working with organizations who are startup, if they're, you know, I got an interest in uh, serving on a board somewhere, there's plenty of organizations that are looking for, uh, you know, board members that could help them to um, put the best policies and practices and procedures in place. And I mean, there's just an innumerable way that, that people could get involved. And we're glad to help connect uh, folks to local organizations. Tommy, Lorinda, thank you so much. I appreciate the, the passion that you bring to your jobs and the work that you're doing on behalf of our communities and our children. It's so important. Thanks for listening to Reframed. Visit gladneyuniversity.org to access the show notes and learn about upcoming trainings at Gladney University. We'd love your feedback, so please rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.